Okay, Encounter with God. We're still looking at the concept of creation. We are indeed. As the foundation, really, for understanding the Bible and how a misunderstanding of the creation account will give you a misunderstanding of the whole Bible. Get the creation account correct and we will, and w- yeah, we, we, we're good to go with the, the rest of the Bible. One way that, that often tends to get people to get more on side with these things, if, if they're sort of a little bit skeptical about some, about what they're reading, is when they might not exactly trust or have faith in what they're reading, they compare it with other documents or other versions of stories. And we did a little bit of that yesterday, looking at uh, ancient literature. And this morning we're going to have another little look at uh, the the Genesis creation story versus paganism. We are indeed. And, you know, it's... It's it's a very different story, isn't it? It is a very different story, and we're gonna we, yeah. Let's go to uh, let's turn our Bibles over to Genesis chapter one, verse fourteen to nineteen. And what you're going to find here is that Paul, uh, Moses uses some very very different language. I got my head in the wrong headspace. Paul uses different language too. Paul, he does. He does <laughs> in a very, a very different part of the Bible. Moses uses some very different language to describe what is taking place. And what we need to do is actually stop and ask ourselves the reason why. Exactly. Why is it that Moses is using this kind of language in this particular passage? So let's go Genesis chapter 1, verse 14 to 19. I think, uh, do you have it open in your Bible? Uh, I can find it in my Bible. Uh, yes. Simply because. Okay, yes, 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 I was, yes, yes. I was reading this morning. Uh-huh. In, your in, Bible's going to let you down. In my Bible. And my version, it, it, uh, it doesn't help with what we're trying to say. Um, no. But I'll, st- I'll start with what my Bible says, and then we can, we can turn to what your Bible says. So my okay. Bible says from Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 19, Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. Yes. Go. Okay. Let's stop there. Stop there. And I'll, I'll pick up from there. Yeah. And I need to explain the difference between... The two Bibles that we're using. So, uh, Liam is using the New Living Translation, which is a paraphrase, which endeavours to translate the thoughts of the author. I'm using the King James Version, which is a more literal word-for-word translation, which endeavours to translate the words of the author. And so when it comes to uh, finding doctrinal truth... What you've got to you, you you want to use a more word for word translation when you're looking at you know for devotional reading then uh, a lot of the time your uh, your paraphrase will be fine but you're going to lose a lot of the depth. I'll read mine after yours just to okay. to give the comparison. Give the comparison. Yep. All right. Verse sixteen. So this is your more word for word translation. Obviously, never perfectly word for word, but. Um, it's pretty close to word for word. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Mine says from verse 16, God made two great lights, the larger one, the sun, to govern the day, and the smaller one, the moon, to govern the night. Okay, so we can stop there. Yeah. Because that's where your difference comes in. Mine simply says, two great lights, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. Yours says, two great lights, the larger one, 
and calls it the sun, and the smaller one and calls it the moon. My translation, which is your word-for-wordish translation, does not have the word sun or moon in it. In fact, Moses was very, very intentional in leaving those words out when he wrote the book of Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, why? Why did Moses go to an intentional effort to leave out some words of Scripture? Well, if we... uh, What language did Moses write his books in? Uh, These were written in Hebrew. In Hebrew. Yes, and you have a word there for sun and you have a word for moon in Hebrew, but he leaves those words in the creation account. He does not use those words. Where And and the reason that is is because Moses gets the, the word in Hebrew language for sun and moon are derived from, or they come from the words for the sun god and the moon god. So therefore, by Moses putting those words in, he didn't want to confuse people by saying that he's alluding to those. Yeah, they weren't exactly the same, they were, but they were closely related yeah, to those. Yeah. And we have a lot of words today that are exactly the same. In fact, the word Sunday today is very closely related to the, to the word for the, the sun god. You know, if you look at our days of the week, you've Thursday got comes from Thor. The, yep, comes from Thor. You've got. Uh, let me see if I can get them. You've got Sun's Day, Moon's Day, Twig's Day, Woden's Day, Thor's Day, Frigg's Day, and Saturn's Day. There you go. There's your days of the week, and so these are these are words that are all closely related to various gods. Now, we are separated from those gods by a couple of thousand years and so we don't actually stop and think about it but when Moses is writing the book of Genesis that separation does not exist that big separation in time does not exist and so he is very careful that he does not want to give any kind of hint of any kind of divinity to the sun and the moon in the context of creation because every other creation myth pretty much has the sun or the moon or both of them involved in the creative process at some particular point, whereas the biblical account, and this is one of the big contrasts with the biblical account, the biblical account says, no, these were not involved in creation. They were merely a product of creation. So a big difference that you've got right there. Okay, so there's some other thoughts that sort of come out of this too because not only does Moses be very, very careful not to use the word sun or moon. Instead, he calls them the lesser light and the greater light. So he's not just very careful not to use those words. He's also careful, and, and this is God speaking, of course, we need to remember, to specify the purpose for their existence. Okay, so just in case anyone was going to get confused over why the sun and the moon exist, over whether or not they are gods, Moses clearly defines their purpose. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so with Moses uh, clearly defining their purpose here, let's just uh, go back to our, our, our Bible passage and let's read what the Bible says, what he says about their purpose in uh, verse 17 and 18. God said, let these, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day uh, and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Okay, so it kind of feels like, Moses, you know, for us in our day and age, is stating the obvious. You know, God has uh, created the sun and the moon. 
Um, their purposes are to create light. They are for signs. They give us the seasons. They give us the days. They give us the months. They, gives us, they give us the years. And they don't do any more than that. So Moses, this is, this is what, So why would it be important for Moses to specify the purpose for these particular? Well, let's say, for example, months. that he hadn't mentioned the purpose, but he had mentioned that uh, he had written the word sun and moon. Yes. Using it, the Hebrew, which, which is derived from the sun god and the moon god. Yes. That would imply that the that the sun and the moon could have may have had a different purpose. more divine powers yeah so by maybe here they're, maybe they're not just there for light for warmth um and to create season days months years etc exactly so but right here right in right here by defining the purpose he is cementing the fact that these have one purpose no more than one purpose and they are not to be looked at in any other way Okay, so in many ways, you've got Moses here specifically addressing paganism. He knows the pagan creation myths that are out there. He was well-educated in those myths in the you know, preparation in the Egyptian court for being Pharaoh. And uh, as he writes the creation story, the biblical account of the creation story, and once again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he draws a clear and a specific line of demarcation to show that these two myths, these two stories, I shouldn't, shouldn't refer to the creation story as a myth, but these two stories or possibilities are in no way related to each other whatsoever at all. So what Moses is doing, what God is doing is, is saying, okay, there are these other myths that are out there. This one has no connection to them. No. <laughs> they may have one or two elements of truth. But amongst those one or two elements of truth, this one has no connection. This is the one. And, and what is also interesting is that right here at the very beginning, at the earliest verses of the Bible, the oldest portion of Scripture there is, you have confirmation of scientific principles that we understand today. Exactly. You know, It wasn't until recent times that really what we have here was widely understood in our world. Up until recent times, the majority of our world have looked at the sun and moon as having, you know, some kind of some form of divine property. And of course you didn't find that in Christian nations in the West, but now it's universal around the world. Everybody looks at the sun and the moon and says, yes, they are there for signs and for seasons, for might, for days, uh, for months, for years, and for light. And if you think about Moses when he was writing this, it was while after he was educated through the Egyptian education system, which would have taught about the Egyptian gods, such as the, yes. the sun god, uh, Ra. Ra, and I don't know the moon god uh, in Egyptian culture, but... In Assyrian culture, the Egyptian the moon god was called Sin. So, well, there you go. Um, but the the sun god Ra is one of the most powerful gods in the Egyptian culture. Yes, in the Egyptian, yeah. So, I think by him putting this in in now, he's really emphasising using the education that he's gotten before and emphasising that no, hang on, it's just a sun. It it's it's there for one purpose to to light up the world. Uh, literally, not spiritually. Yep. Um, to provide a light that so we. So we've got a scientific basis for this. Exactly. So, so the oldest part of scripture that speaks about 
the purpose of the sun is confirmed by science. Exactly. And, uh, and you know, but I, I often find that with, with myths and, and cultures, uh, sorry, with myths, the, the way that people usually get sucked in with them, or that they usually believe them, is that there is that element of truth. You know, with just about every single myth there is on earth, there is some element of truth. And Moses is really, what he's doing here is really emphasizing, really f- laying it out that, yes, while there is truth, this is what it actually is. Yeah. He's laying out the, he's putting it all out there, making sure everyone's clear on what he's trying to say. Okay, so here we find some uh, big differences between the Genesis version of creation and the pagan version of creation. We're going to go on and we're going to talk about human beings because the origin of human beings in the Genesis version versus the pagan versions is just as big. And so let's just refresh our minds. We did have an example here in our study guide of one of the pagan versions. And this was something that we read yesterday. We'll go back and read it again now because it pretty much sums up what most of the creation myths are and you know unanimously universally around the world it has the same basic concepts as what you find here okay so here we come here we come to it this is from the atrahasis epic and it says it reads like this when the gods instead of man did the work bore the loads the god's load was the god's load was too much too great the work too hard the trouble too much let the womb goddess create offspring and let man bear the load of the gods. So basically human beings are created to be slaves. Geshtui, a god who had intelligence, they slaughtered in their assembly. Nintu mixed clay with his flesh and blood and from there you get you know, the first human beings. Indeed. And so the creation of man and humanity when you look at the pagan concepts, concepts of it, uh, unanimously depict humanity's creation as an afterthought resulting from an attempt to relieve the gods of their hard labor. That's across the board. Let's now compare that with the Bible version of it. Um, you've got uh, Genesis chapter 2 there. Verse, well, we'll start in verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. Let's I do want there. to give credit where credit is due, though. That little excerpt that you read, that you just read, it is very poetic. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. Um, they, they did a very good job of writing it. Good poetry. Whether it's true or not, that's, that's another matter. That's, that's where the, uh, the, the poetic quality is where the um, benefit of that one sort of starts and ends. Indeed. All right. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed all. Sorry, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And then moving on to verse 18 to 24. Uh, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. 
So the Lord God the so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone, and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman, because she was taken from man. It is a great passage right here, and it is so different. This is not a passage that is full of violence and greed and laziness and selfishness and enslavement. No. This passage is all about relationship. Indeed. It is all about love. The Genesis 2 story is a love story. It is the first love story ever written right here. And it's God writing a love story of his love for human beings. And so once again, you get a massive contrast. It is impossible to compare this with the pagan creation myths. You just simply cannot equate the two with each other. This is a story that begins with God getting personally involved, physically involved. He's not just standing back and, you know, speaking man into existence as he spoke everything else into existence. When it comes to the creation of man, the Bible says that God came down to this earth and got his hands dirty. And he formed man personally out of the dust of the ground, out of the dirt, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And we are studying Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 24 right now and comparing the Genesis creation account with the pagan accounts, asking ourselves whether there was any similarities. Was Moses copying from creation myths that he had already learnt from the Egyptians? And we're finding that he was actually writing something in an endeavor to contrast the creation myths of the ancient civilizations that were in existence in his day. He actually purposely uses language to separate the creation story from the pagan creation myths. We were comparing these two stories, and there's a number of things that sort of jump out of the creation story. I want to highlight a number of points here that are absolutely critical. First of all, in verse 7, God comes down, gets his hands dirty, gets very physical in creating human beings, gets very personal and very intimate. And not only does he get his hands uh, dirty, but he basically kind of, you know, performs mouth-to-mouth, well, not resuscitation, but what's suscitation without the re on it? I guess. Yeah. He uh, he breathes into man the breath of life and brings him to life. And so God God became incredibly personal. This could be the first version of CPR because he broke a rib. Or did he break a rib or did he just remove a rib? No, he just, just removed a rib. Oh, okay. He just removed a rib. But you can kind of see God, you know, he creates this body, um, gives the heart a few pumps, breathes into it, and suddenly it comes to life. And yeah, that's just that's just... That's just next level um, out there. Very personal. To give a small intimate. comparison, you, I'm assuming you've done this. Have you not, not you know, held someone's beating heart, but have you built a car? Or, or Yes. 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 What's it like when you've built the engine, you've done all the insides, you've done it all together? What's, what's it like turning that key for the first time? It's incredibly nerve-wracking. Yeah. Um, and if I was God, I don't think I would be nervous. If, if, but, okay, so, so let me just run through that scenario because I can see where you're going with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's nerve-wracking because it's like, will this thing start? 
Will it hold oil pressure? Will it have compression? Will it keep running? Will something go bang? And so you start it up and you're wondering all of these things and it just sits there and purrs and then you take it for a spin around the block and it absolutely goes like a rocket and you're like, wow, this is amazing. So that scenario, except the all the all the doubt, all the yes, take suspicion. out the take out that take out the you are one hundred percent confident that the creation that you've just built yes is going to start yes that feeling is just oh yeah absolutely and 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 imagine if you were creating a person rather than a car You'd be it's strong. very very satisfying to take that car for a spin uh, it's it would be you know it's even more satisfying and maybe a better analogy is the birth of a child. Indeed, you know that, and that new child comes out and then opens its mouth wide and screams for the first time, takes its first breath. I'm, and then you hold that child. I, I don't feel like I'm in a position to ever compare anything to, to childbirth, being a man. However, if we had a if we had a, a female in the studio, we could we could chug it to her to see what she'd say. Um, but uh, but yeah, for me. I've I haven't yeah it's it's one of those things you know okay so let's talk about the creation of of, of of the first woman then there we go so how is the first woman created is she just spoken into existence she's not just spoken into well yeah no she's not she's created as a part of the first man and once again you have this whole aspect and and not from a bone of the foot to show that man was to trample on her not from a bone of the head to show that she was to trample on man but from a rib to show that she was to stand side by side. Does the Bible ever, or does there any record say which rib? No. One would assume it would be one of the bottom ribs, a bottom rib on either side, because you can, you know, live quite fine without by having one of those ribs removed. Lots of people have a, a rib removed for whatever reason. Um, you can um, you can survive quite fine without it, and so one would assume that that is the case. It, uh, but, but, but what it does show is an intimate physical connection. You know, and, and Adam would have carried that deformity with him his entire life. He would have carried it into eternity if he had not sinned. And that physical defect that would have been there would have been there to speak of the intimate relationship between men and women and the fact that we are a part, we are physically a part of each other. Here's a question for you, and we could save this for question of the day if you like, but um, I've got scars on my body from all the various times I've been hurt. When I get to heaven, those scars aren't going to be there. I'm going to be healed. Will Adam's scar and will his rib be restored? That's a good question. We could save that for question of the day. Um, I don't think I will. Okay. Go for it. Go for it now then. The Bible is silent on the subject. I don't know. Okay. I just don't know. I tend to think, and, and this is kind of my opinion. I'm just going to share my opinion on this because I'm just sort of thinking off the top of my head here, is that God would have performed surgery without a scar, but the missing rib, I think, will stay there for the rest of eternity because it is a lesson to us, a reminder to us of the intimate process of creation, the very personal process of creation, and the fact that we come from each other. We are a part of each other. We are not just separate human beings who are to live in complete isolation and selfishness from each other, but that we are created to be a part of each other, physically a part of each other. You know, we're not like a great white shark that, you know, lives in a completely solitary life 
um, does nothing but kill things and occasionally bumps into another shark of the opposite sex. They, you know, procreate an egg that floats around all over the oceans and hatches all by itself somewhere on the other side of the world. Indeed. Very, very, very different from what you see here with the picture of human beings. So we've got a big question mark on, on Adam's scar. The only other scar that we know will still be in heaven is the scar on Jesus Christ, the hands yes. and the feet. And the, the Bible says that the, one will be there. It does indeed. So that one is, has a big old tick on it. The other, yeah. on, the other ones it will all be healed, apart from this one where there's a question mark. Okay, so let's run through a bit of a summary of the difference between what Moses has written about the creation of humanity compared to the creation myths. The creation myths are incredibly violent and selfish and lazy and men are created as slaves. In Moses' depiction, humanity is created to be the first place in creation. Um, He is created for relationships. He's created for love. He's created for companionship. He's created for creativity. He's created for rest. He's created for spirituality. And God is constantly giving him gifts rather than him giving God gifts. Big difference right here.